Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is called Come and See. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, January 14th, 2018. What would Jesus do? I was in college when the question became a worldwide slogan. I would walk into Christian bookstores and see entire shelves dedicated to the phrase. Teenagers came to church with the acronym emblazoned on bracelets, t-shirts, caps, and hoodies. WWJD. Pastors used the question to title their sermons, and youth group leaders chose it as an organizing theme for summer camps and vacation Bible schools. Goldmine industry though it became, the spiritual goal of the paraphernalia was to encourage kids to orient their daily lives around the example of Jesus' life and teachings. If Jesus were here right now, facing the situation we're facing, what would he do? As we've now left Advent and Christmas behind and entered into the brief, luminous season of Epiphany, I wonder if we might shift the WWJD question a bit from what would Jesus do to what would Jesus see? Epiphany, after all, is a season of light and revelation, a season of searching, discovering, finding, and knowing. As we read the gospel stories that shape this liturgical season, I wonder what we can learn from the penetrating and grace-filled vision of the Messiah. If Jesus were here right now, looking at what we're looking at, what would he see? In this week's reading from the Gospel of John, a skeptic named Nathaniel makes a dramatic journey from doubt to faith, from ignorance to knowledge. He experiences an epiphany, discovering for himself that Jesus of Nazareth is in fact the Son of God, the light that has come into the world. But the story at its core is not about what Nathaniel sees, it's about what Jesus sees. It's a story about Jesus' way of looking and seeing, and about what becomes possible when we dare to experience his gaze. In this story, what makes salvation possible is not what Nathaniel sees in Jesus, but what Jesus sees in Nathaniel. The lection begins with Jesus going to Galilee, finding Philip and inviting him to follow me. Philip accepts the call without hesitation, and then, brimming with excitement, runs off to find his friend Nathaniel. He finds him sitting under a fig tree. We have found him about whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth, Philip tells Nathaniel. But his friend under the fig tree is not impressed. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? he asks skeptically. Instead of arguing, Philip simply tells his doubtful friend to come and see. When Nathaniel does so, he receives the surprise of his life. As soon as the two men see each other, before they exchange a single word, Jesus says, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Seeing is always selective. We have choices when it comes to what we see, what we prioritize, what we name, and what we call out in each other. The cells we present to the world are layered and messy, and it takes both love and patience to sift through those layers and find what lies at the core of who we each are. But there is great power in that sifting, too. Something healing, something holy happens to us when we are deeply seen, known, named, and accepted. Jesus had a choice when it came to seeing Nathaniel. I wonder what would have happened if, instead of calling out Nathaniel's purity of heart, Jesus had said, Here is a cynic who is stunted by doubt, or... Here is a man who is governed by prejudice, or here is a man who is blunt and careless in his words, or here is a man who sits around, passive and noncommittal, waiting for life to happen to him. Any one of those things might have been true of Nathaniel, but Jesus looked past them all to see an honesty, a guilelessness, a purity of thought and intention that made up the true core of Nathaniel's character. Maybe the other qualities were there as well, but would Nathaniel's heart have melted in wonder and joy if Jesus saw and named those first? Or would Nathaniel have withdrawn in shame, fear, despair, and embarrassment? 
Jesus named the quality he wanted to bless and cultivate in his would-be follower, the quality that made Nathaniel a person of beauty, an image-bearer of God. What would happen if we routinely saw as Jesus sees? If beneath the anger we saw a passion for justice? If beneath the shyness we saw a hunger for connection? If beneath the bossiness we saw a great capacity for leadership? If beneath the loud-mouthed banter we saw prophetic truth-telling? If beneath the quietness we saw a gift for meditative reflection? If beneath the recklessness we saw courage? In Just Mercy, his powerful book on the blight of mass incarceration in the United States, lawyer and author Brian Stevenson insists that each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Each of us, in other words, benefits from a second look, and a third, and a fourth. To offer that second look, that deeper, kinder, and more penetrating look, is grace. It is the gracious vision of Jesus, and it is the vision that we are called to practice in a world that too often judges and condemns too quickly. Is there anything, after all, that feels lonelier than the experience of being unseen, misunderstood, and prematurely dismissed? And is there anything more life-giving than the experience of being seen for who we really are, deep down beneath the fragile defenses we hold up out of fear? The invitation to come and see is an invitation to leave our comfortable vantage points and dare to believe that just maybe we have been limited and wrong in our original certainties about each other, about God, and about the world. To come and see is to approach all of life with a grace-filled curiosity, to believe that we are holy mysteries to each other, worthy of further exploration. To come and see is to enter into the joy of being deeply seen and deeply known, and to have the very best that lies within us called out and called forth. Epiphanies are funny things, deeply personal and hard to explain outside the context of our own lives. I wonder how Nathaniel told his friends about his epiphany story in later years and how they reacted. No, no, you don't get it. He saw me. Don't you understand? He really saw me, and then I just knew. But he was telling the truth. Whether anyone else understood or not, it's because Jesus saw who Nathaniel is and where Nathaniel was. Here is a man without deceit. I saw you under the fig tree. That Nathaniel was able to see who Jesus is. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. In other words, it is when we have been seen in that profoundly personal way that we find ourselves able to see others. It is when we have been loved right under the core of who we are that we find the capacity to love other people as God loves us. This week, we honor the legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., a man who dared to see as Jesus sees, a man who dared to call forth the best in all people, both black and white, both victim and oppressor, a man who looked deeply into the racial hatred of his day and yet envisioned a world where justice would roll down like mighty waters. This is the call of epiphany, to see, to call forth, to dream, and to bless. What would Jesus see? Go and see likewise. For books this week, we review The Soul of the First Amendment by Floyd Abrams. Floyd Abrams didn't write the First Amendment, says Alan Dershowitz in his book cover blurb, but few legal scholars have done more to defend, explain, and protect it than Abrams. There was significant debate at the Constitutional Convention whether even to have any Bill of Rights, and today, says Abrams, the First Amendment is the most honored and least understood addendum to the U.S. Constitution. It's only 45 words and includes freedom of religion, the right to peaceably assemble, and the right to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Abrams focuses on the nine words that prohibit the government from abridging the freedom of speech or of the press. In particular, he shows how other robust democracies like England and Canada, in cases regarding hate speech and the right to be forgotten, restrict freedoms of speech in ways that are unthinkable here in the United States. Abrams represented the New York Times in the case of the Pentagon Papers and Mitch McConnell before the Supreme Court in Citizens United. 
He is unfailingly fair-minded and especially helpful in exploring the controversial and conflicting interests of matters like national security in cases like WikiLeaks and Edward Snowden. There's virtually no important free speech, free speech issue that he has not thought long and hard about. The right to be forgotten, unlimited spending by corporations in elections, privacy rights, hate speech and defamatory statements, abortion demonstrations, obscenity laws, burning the flag and saluting the flag. That the First Amendment intends to place strict limits on the government's authority over religion, speech and the press is clear. But in the last sentence of the book, that still leaves the public with a thorny question, what to print. The First Amendment provides no answer to this question. It never does. That is for citizens to decide, and sometimes that's a complicated and controversial matter. For movies this week, we review The Beatles, Eight Days a Week, The Touring Years. This documentary by director Ron Howard won Grammy and Emmy Awards for its exploration of the earliest years of The Beatles. He begins with their formation and early tours in 1962 and ends with their 1967 album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band in 1967, named by Rolling Stone magazine as the best album of all time. The film was initially released in September of 2016. Dan's wife and he watched its American debut on November 25, 2017 on PBS. There are numerous takeaways here, first of which is the cr crazy Beatle mania, which really was a cultural mania, so much so that the group eventually stopped touring. No wonder. In the four years, 1962 to 1966, the Beatles played 815 times in 15 countries and 90 cities. Dan was also shocked to learn that the boys from Liverpool were only about 17 when they started. Finally, the band was fortunate, at least early on, to have the oversight of manager Brian Epstein and producer George Martin. The movie received the full support of Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, Yoko Ono Lennon, and George Harrison's wife, Olivia. And finally, in honor of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., in poetry this week we have, I have a dream. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair, I say to you today, my friends. And so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day, down in Alabama, with its vicious racists, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day, right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, January 14th, 2018. I'm Debbie Thomas. <laughs>